Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Good evening. Get a look at a very familiar parable tonight, a parable of the talents, if you'll open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. And we will begin, let's just read it, beginning in verse 14. For the kingdom of God, this is Jesus speaking, sorry, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one, he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. Likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and he hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received the five talents came and brought five other talents saying, Lord, You delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then... He who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, like I said, this is a pretty familiar parable. It appears again in a different form in Luke. And it's generally pretty straightforward in its application. A man traveling to a far country, I believe this is Jesus referring to the ascension, when he's not going to physically be with us. And uh, when he distributes his goods to his servants, this is him giving us gifts. And we'll talk about the gifts here in just a couple minutes. But the gifts in this case, in this story, are represented by weighted measures of money. A talent was a lot of money, depending on whether it was silver or gold uh, or the time or whatever. Some, uh, by some estimations, this is 10 to 15 years salary for the average uh, working person. So I, I point that out because it's important to recognize that because even the servant who received one talent wasn't getting gypped. The gift he got, the talent he was given to work with, was a lot. All right? The servant with five and the servant with two went and traded with them, doubling their money. Meaning, allegorically, that they applied whatever gifts the master had given them. 
And uh, we are to take what Jesus has given us, invest it into the kingdom, and produce a harvest, right? Uh, and we do, our talents, our gifts. In the meantime, our talents, the, the talent that he gave us, the gifts that he gave us, they grow. We start with a gift, and we develop that gift. We cultivate that gift, and it becomes bigger. Our influence grows, right? Our effectiveness grows as a result. Now let's stop here for a second and think about what it is that he gives us to serve him with. We have a couple of places in scripture where it spells it out. And we did a Wednesday night series on the, on the gifts a couple of years ago. But in Romans chapter 12, you can look at that if you want. Romans chapter 12 beginning in verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy... Let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So, uh, we have them actually listed here. Prophecy, and I would expand this to include all of the charismatic gifts of the next list that we're going to look at. Ministry or serving, teaching, exhorting, which could be encouraging or even preaching, giving, leading, and showing mercy. You take what he has given you and you intentionally use those gifts. You develop them, you expand them, and you get better at it in the using of those gifts. And like I said, you become more effective for the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have another list, the spiritual gifts. Where, beginning in verse 4, it says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is all, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of, gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, Going back to something I've said before about this passage, which is that I am not convinced that the, um, that the, the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 are given as permanent endowments. In other words, I personally have not seen, I'm not convinced that he has permanently gifted a particular person with the gift, the gift of tongues or the gift of interpretation or the gift of healing. I believe when it says he distributes them as he wills, it means if there is a need for the manifestation of a particular spiritual gift, a charismatic gift, then somebody, anybody who will make themselves available, God will manifest that gift. The Holy Spirit will manifest that gift in our midst to meet a need. It's for the profit of all. And I could be wrong about that. I think we see, well, so-and-so seems to be really good at words of knowledge, words of wisdom, interpretation. And I think that's because once God uses you in a particular gift, you get, you're suddenly, it's, it's easier the next time. So you get comfortable. And so it's easier for you to flow and step into that. Uh, but Paul says to earnestly desire the best gifts. And I believe the best gift is the one that's needed in the body at that moment. 
So, uh, but going back to Romans 12, if you flow in these gifts, flow in them. But in Corinthians, he says that he distributes to each one individually as he wills. And I think the Romans 12 gifts are more, are, are, are more or less permanently endowed. They are things that are tied to who we are. They are proclivities. They are things when people speak of, uh, you know, in the natural, so-and-so is a gifted athlete or a gifted orator or a gifted musician or a gifted artist. Uh, we mean that, don't we? It means that we can all work hard at certain things, but if we don't have, if there's not some inherent talent or proclivity there, we will only get so good when some people will be so good because of the giftings. All right? So, and also this, don't try to assign rank to these gifts. You know, in Romans 12, when it says, you know, he who prophesies, you know, prophecy has a certain flash, a certain cachet, especially in charismatic churches. But let me tell you something. You've not been served until you've been served by somebody with the gift of serving. Do you know what I mean? It is a completely different thing when you are in the presence of somebody who is gifted to serve. Right? Anybody can come up and say, hey, God loves you, God forgives you, I forgive you. But when somebody who's gifted with mercy says that, it'll bring tears to your eyes. It'll melt you. It'll soften you. So, uh, anyway, I think it's safe to say that any ability you have, going back to what we said about gifted athletes, gifted singers, etc., any ability, any natural ability you have that's there to be developed, uh, that empowers you or enables you to flourish and succeed in this world needs to be acknowledged as a gift from God and needs to be somehow used for his kingdom. Okay? Now, the first two did that. They doubled what their master gave them. But the servant with the one talent said, what? Go back and look at this. In verse 24, then he, and it's still Matthew 25, then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Now, let's start with that last part because that's where the meat of this is. But we will look at the first part a little more closely in a bit too. I want you to see that he didn't destroy or spend, or otherwise waste the talent. It was still there. He wasn't empty-handed when his master came back. He had exactly what his master gave him. Whatever the master delivered to him before his journey, the servant delivered to the master when the master returned. And this is important, because when we're looking at the application, the picture here is not of one of us taking something the Lord has given us and using it in the commission of gross sins. Oh, God gave me talent to do this, to make money, to sing songs, to get people's attention, to attract a crowd, and I use them only to make myself more popular, to, to make myself rich, uh, or to, uh, hey, I can just spend whatever I can and just enjoy the pleasures of life, kind of like Ecclesiastes, Solomon, you know, I, <coughs> sex, drugs, and rock and roll is the title I always use when I start teaching out of Ecclesiastes. But that's not what it's talking about. This is a picture of someone who gets saved 
and doesn't do anything bad, but does nothing to grow the kingdom. Enjoys all the benefits of salvation, of their salvation, but does nothing to save others. And what is the master's reaction? Verse 26, you are wicked and lazy. Verse 27, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Is there an application here? Yeah, there's a couple. Your meager talent, your one talent, 16-year salary. Remember, anything God gives you is significant. But the talent that you consider meager might be just the thing that will help somebody with a greater talent or a greater number of talents fulfill what God has called them to do. You can't find something to do by yourself then you invest in somebody else's life. You invest in somebody else's ministry. You come alongside them and make them more profitable for the kingdom of God. And also don't forget this, that among the things God does give us is wealth. He's using money here to illustrate the broader concept of gifts, but it certainly includes actual money. If nothing else, can you give in order to propel the ministry of somebody else? Some people are literally gifted in the art of making money. The Bible tells us it's he that gives us the power to get wealth, generating income, discovering new revenue streams. I read this from uh, Somebody posted this on Facebook the other day, and I'll give you the context here in a minute. And I might have shared this in some other, uh, some other time, but it was, if you, uh, and I did the math, so this is true. Did, have you heard this uh, from me or anybody else? You go back to the day Columbus arrived in the West, in the New World, 1492. Go back to that date, and you work every day for $5,000 a day. If you manage to earn $5,000 a day for 500 years, or from 1492 till today, you still would not have a billion dollars. $5,000 a day, seven days a week, never missing a day for over 500 years, you still would not have $1 billion. That's how big a billion is. Last year, Jeff Bezos made over a billion a week. He's the Amazon guy, richest guy in the world, or was until his stock price fell. Huh? And the divorce, right? Now, what what followed this statistic was this statement. Nobody works for a billion dollars. Meaning, of course, nobody deserves a billion dollars. But the fact is, whether he earned it with the sweat of his brow. He was gifted with business acumen, with ideas, and with, with, with knowledge uh, to do things with money that I can't do and most of you can't do. And I get it. He's not sitting on top of a pile of cash, $100 billion. But I believe God gifts people to make money like that for a reason. What are we supposed to do with that kind of money? Well, what he's doing is building a mansion with 25 bathrooms in it. (laughs) Now, 
when I hear something like that, I have to admit my first, my first instinct is wretched excess. There are people starving to death in this world. There are people living on the street in this country. And it's easy. You know, I'm, I'm politically, generally speaking, I'm a conservative. And so it's easy for me to buy into the argument and, and agree with the argument. Hey, people aren't, people aren't accidentally homeless. They made decisions that got them there. I get it, but they're there. And Jesus loves them, and we're called to minister to them. And if I have $100 billion, I personally, at this point in my life, without $100 billion, have a hard time justifying building a house with 25 bathrooms when there are more pressing issues from humanity. I get that. But that's a dangerous road to go down because then it's all a matter of scale and comparison. This, and getting off track here, this is what's beautiful about the tithe. Tithe is 10% of whatever you make. And then as God deals with you, you give according uh, to what he's put on your heart, what you purpose in your heart, okay? Anyway. So anyway, got to move on here. All this is pretty straightforward until we get to verse 30, where it says this, and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Is this hell? It looks like hell. Some commentators soften this passage to say that the outer darkness is a temporary situation, like being alone at night, but morning is coming. And I want to believe that, but just reading the scripture as it is, kind of looks like hell. It kind of looks like damnation. I'm not, I cannot say categorically that it is. And again, most of the commentators, and again, I, I have found myself in disagreement with the majority sometimes. But uh, most of the commentators do say this is hell. Then the question then becomes, is this servant representative of a true believer, or is this servant a false believer or a sinner? Because we don't believe in salvation by works, Right? It's salvation by grace through faith plus nothing. On the other hand, James makes it very clear that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is not faith at all. And if faith is what's needed to access saving grace, then if what we have is a faith that is dead, then we're not saved. I think a clue, anyway, is back there in verse 24 when he says this, that he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Did this guy even know his master at all? Was he unaware? How could he have been unaware that his master gave him this talent? That was sowing It wasn't like he gave his servant nothing and then came back and said, well, what did you make for me? Then the servant could say, well, you expected to reap where you didn't sow. He gave him a talent. Again, a talent was a chunk. And I I was a master, what are you talking about? Reap uh, reap where I didn't sow. I sowed a talent into your life. Where's the harvest, servant? This guy didn't know his master. He didn't understand that what he had was from his master. In his mind, he had nothing, or it was all his. He took what his master had, and he protected it. He guarded it. And I think, to me, this is a picture. If it's a believer, 
if it's a believer, this is somebody who got saved and did nothing else. Again, enjoyed the benefits of salvation, never ministered to anybody, and then stood before the Lord and said, I never did anything wrong. I never killed anybody. I never drank. I never stole. I never did this. So I guess I'm good, right? And Jesus is like, what'd you bring with you? What'd you do with everything I gave you? It kind of looks to me like this is somebody who never really came to know the master. Still, the passage does call him a servant just like it does the other two. We've got to ask ourselves a couple things. Number one, how well do we know him? Do we really recognize that he has indeed given us gifts? And do we love him enough? Do we trust him enough to risk what he has given us? To spend, to use the gifts that he's given us for the kingdom. There's always a little bit of risk involved. Uh, There's a quote I read recently that said, "A, uh, A ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are for. A Christian in church is safe. And we do need to be here. But this is not what we were made for. We come here to get equipped and encouraged to do what we were made to do. Stand up with me. Bottom line for me, I guess I don't have an actual bottom line. There's a couple of things I just need for you to consider. I would love, as a grace guy, as a faith guy, to say, look, you are saved by grace through faith plus nothing. If you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, then it doesn't matter what you do or what you didn't do. Yeah, we're gonna, there's going to be disappointments, there's going to be rewards, but nobody has to worry about heaven or hell. But looking at this parable, Jesus is putting a lot of emphasis on what you do, not on your own. Remember, this is, this is where the faith and the grace comes. It's Jesus' generosity and it's God's sovereignty where he says, It's not like, all right, I saved you, now go out and do something. It's I saved you, and here is everything you need to do what I've called you to do. Because when I saved you, remember, you called me Lord. You said, come into my life and be my Lord. There's no real salvation without lordship. And it's one thing to call him Lord, and it's one thing to make him your Lord. He said, all right, if I'm your Lord, here's what I want you to do. And he might give you a specific vision, a specific calling. It might just be right through the word of God. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. We know we're supposed to do that. Live the gospel and preach the gospel. And I promise you, whatever it is he's put in you, it is sufficient to do everything he's called you to do. And how are we going to honestly call him Lord and face him on that day and say, I didn't do anything. I didn't bring anybody with me. I didn't share it with anybody. I believed it, and I'm really thankful you saved me. And I'm sorry I didn't do more, but I guess I'll just come on in. It's like, whoa, wait a second. Where's this lordship fit in? Who was really lord of your life? Was it me or was it you? We've got to take this seriously. So, take it seriously now. If you can identify some trends in your life where you're saying, you know, I have. I've been enjoying the goodness of God but I have not made it a priority to be a minister. I have not invested those talents and those gifts in the kingdom of God in such a way that it's producing a harvest for the kingdom. Then repent and commit yourself to doing it starting now. 
And if you're in here tonight, you've never made the decision to follow Jesus Christ. Silas leave. I know he hasn't made that decision yet. We're talking about salvation. We're talking about heaven and hell. We're talking about eternity. We're also talking about the purpose you were made for while you are here in this world. You want to be saved? You want to be a Christian? You want to walk out of here tonight knowing that your eternal home is heaven? Your eternal home is as part of the kingdom of God? Make that decision tonight. Recognize that Jesus died for your sin. Everybody's sin. But my sin isn't that bad. What do you have to die for? Every sin. (laughs) No matter how you measure it or what you compare it to. Sin cannot be in the presence of God. We are by nature sinful creatures. We inherited it from Adam. And the only way to be right with God is to accept the payment that Jesus made on the cross. If you'd like to recognize that tonight, if you'd like to cry out for salvation, kneel before him as Lord and Savior. I'm going to give you that opportunity here in just a second. I'm going to close this sermon right now with a prayer. After that, they're going to start singing a song. As soon as I'm done praying and they start singing, come up here and let me pray with you tonight. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.